passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock, joined by a man who's been lifting tires all night, Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? Oh, sore. You know, not a, not any man can lift those things. How do you even come up with that idea, much less that's what we got? Like, there was no payoff to this thing. There was no, like, uh, new feud where a babyface, like attacked Lashley or was hiding in the tire or Lana was secretly with her other husband in the other room. Like, what was um, that? Well, I'm guessing there, there were tires in the back uh, of the, of the PC and uh, they needed some visual gag. Um, what was the, what was Lashley's? the gag? Well, just to show off like Lashley's strength, uh, something visual. He struggled. He struggled with this thing. I th- I guess that was the gag. Oh, Christ, well. I was just confused uh, where where the Lana storyline went. With him, like, considering divorce? Oh, they were fine. Maybe maybe they retired that storyline. Oh. Maybe. Well, I was just trying to come up with show titles after the first segment, so I had all night to think about that. How was your weekend? I haven't spoken to you since uh, Friday. It's uh, been ages. Weekend was... Um, thanks. Thanks. Uh, I, I missed you too. Okay. That's what I was waiting for. I thought you were just going <laughs> to conveniently bypass the oh. easy, like meet me in the middle kind of a response there. No, it's uh, just not something we usually say to each I know you didn't miss other. me way, but it's still a nice thing. Well, no, it's just not something we usually say to each other. We're, we're more of a, uh, you know, we miss each other silently type of uh, friendship, I would say. I don't think I don't think I could text you that just on our own. Like, hey, boy, I miss you. I'd, I, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think I don't think we have that kind of friendship. No, not at all. No, I would but say we can if you want. I mean, I'm f- I'm fine with whatever you text. I me. mean, I would say it's implied. So, uh, or an emoji. If you want to send me like you know like a, what's the closest thing to like an I miss you, in emoji form. Uh, um, would it be um. I miss you is not really conveyed very well by a by an expression. Be like a blank like square, I, you know, like an empty square, You're like a colored square. Does that exist? See, if they had one where they were like looking at a watch, that would not be so much. I'm missing you. It'd be like, where the hell are you? I'm waiting. So that so that I would see be like good. a like a like a oh, there's there's one. I see like a a 
a white okay it's a black square with a white outline i mean that's that's pretty much you know it's like a white square that's missing its insides i mean that would to me would be the closest thing you could just text me that and i think we're good i would get the idea yeah i'm looking through here i i really don't know what i would uh what i would send you to convey hey i i'm missing you um yeah you just have to be yeah. there in the moment i guess so no, you already wait for a podcast to do it. Oh, you just sent me your the 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 blue smiley with the cold teeth. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I've never seen it before. Okay. Uh, uh, what the fuck does that well, mean? I'm freezing. That's okay. Well, yeah, it's pretty self. I'm dying. I have hypothermia. We sure it's not like something else, some secret code for like some sort of like sexting thing. I I hope not. I I don't know what all these emojis mean. It's uh, it's the man freezing and he's got ice icicles forming under his mouth, but he has a wonderful set of teeth. I would say it maybe it's the opposite of lit. You know, instead of it being lit, it's like really chilly, really chilly. <laughs> Can you well, tell then. we're approaching our 40s? Oh, I think we're there. I think you and I are mentally there. I'm fine with that. <laughs> that's that's cool with me. I don't care. Um, it's really chilly. Yeah. Hey, uh, today it said in Ontario that they believe we have reached the peak. Yes, that is what they say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I what it seems to indicate... I mean, I, you know, anything can still happen at this point. I think it is still way a little early to, to maybe, you know, proclaim any sort of victory whatsoever. But I think what it does mean is that social distancing has been working. Uh, and what I mean, I would say it appears to be a flattening or the beginnings of a flattening of a curve. Yeah, I mean, ho hopefully uh, I'm hopeful that, you know, in a month from now, it's it's that much better. But mm -hmm. at least like a, a sprinkling of good news. Yes, absolutely. I went to go see my parents this weekend. So we did the uh, – I stood on like the sidewalk and they came outside. So we had a conversation from about like six feet apart. Mm -hmm. And my dad who I, I don't know – like he grasps what's going on. But as he gets there, he's like, hey, can I can I take a look at your car? And ch check the oil. It's like, no, no, you cannot do that. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, okay. And then at the end, I'm like, I'm having a coffee. I said, you know, I, I better get going. I, I live like 40 minutes away. I said, I'm probably going to have to go to the bathroom soon, so I better get going. You want to come in? You want to use the washroom? I'm like, no, that's not how this works, Dad. So I, I'm trying. I'm trying to get through to him. I think it's it's slowly uh, registering. You know, I don't know about you, but but to me, in my experience with all this, it's it's like it's either the really young or like, the pretty old that maybe aren't as taking this aren't taking this as seriously as as I would say um others um and and I don't know I just find that pretty funny and, and interesting because I mean you probably grown up with all, all your life with your dad telling you what not to do and I I kind of experienced the same with myself where it's like I kind of have to shake my dad who is in his 70s and among the most vulnerable to take the shit way more seriously than I think he really understands. Well, I think as well when you add age to it and what you have – you have that many more years of what you have lived through, what you have experienced. Uh, you know, 
you, you've told me like privately, like your dad has lived a life. So when I'm thinking that this is what he's going through, I can imagine like it's hard to understand um, maybe just the severity of something that cannot be seen. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think in my dad's case, it's more so like I feel like when he gets older, the less he feels like he wants to be controlled. Um, I I kind of feel like it's similar to like when you're a teenager, when you're living under somebody else's rules. Uh, all you can really think about is like, you know, doing what you want to do. And when mm-hmm. you get older, you're kind of like, you kind of regress to that same state where you kind of have to live under other people's rules, whether it be your doctors or the people, the younger people that you live with or really society, you know, when it comes to something like this. Um, I feel like he he might be struggling with like somebody telling him what to do. I mean, especially after a lifetime of kind of making his own choices. Well, yeah. I mean, just the idea of being at home and you have nothing to do and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's, uh, it's definitely difficult for my dad to just be, like, he's always someone that is very active, goes out, does stuff, and now he's just kind of stuck inside. So, anyway, it's interesting just to uh, hear from this perspective, like, of a different generation, but that's what I did on Saturday. I what, went, I, went what, I drove. What what, yeah. what does he do inside? Does he have, like, hobbies? I mean, I would say now is, like, you know, the, the, the home hobby um, industry, I feel, oh. might be exploding at this point in time. Puzzles? My dad Puzzles is, are a big my dad thing is, right now? Well, my, my mom is the hobby person. My dad, less so. So he is definitely going through an adjustment period now where he is trying to develop hobbies. And we're trying to encourage him to uh, do other things. Um, Such as? Because he's just someone that, like, he just... He, he gets up and he works, whether it's going to work, whether it's doing work around the house, which he could technically still do. But it's it's overall just trying to uh, find different things to do where so much of your day is, you know, you're, you're just limited. You can't just go and, and go somewhere. Somehow it doesn't really surprise me knowing uh, knowing his son. What are you talking about? I, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, I got to enjoy episode one of The Last Dance so far. I've heard a lot about this. Tell me about it. Um, I, I'm not going to talk too much about it. I, it's for the first time. I remember you talking about, I don't know if it was Terrace House or something else, where you were saying that I just want to enjoy this. And I don't want to have to be on a deadline to watch it. I just want to enjoy it. It might have been, been the last season of Total Bellas, which. <laughs> it might have been. I, I, yeah. In my head, it was either Terrace House or Total Bellas. Uh, yeah, which that's isn't what happening I'm like anymore, with, by the way. That's what I am I I only got to see the first episode because okay. it was unfortunate because Sunday night I had like my whole evening was free. Like we weren't recording anything and this thing's premiering in the US, but we don't get it in Canada. I was not going like searching for a way to find this live. I didn't have that much uh, desire, but it did start uh, Monday on Netflix. It's like a day later for Canadians. So this morning, Monday is a very, very busy day, but I took time out. Uh, today to watch the first episode and it's amazing it's i just want to enjoy this series i don't want to have to uh take notes for it i don't i just want to sit back and watch it because there's nothing that i just sit back and watch anymore Uh, the soundtrack for this is phenomenal like they take you right back to 1997 just with some of the musical selections and i mean the premise here is that this is the last year of the chicago bulls dynasty 
and they know ahead of time. This is the last year that their coach, Phil Jackson, is told that you have. And so the Bulls allow themselves to be filmed the whole season. And I don't even know what the story is, but this footage has never come out until now. So it's unprecedented access that they have towards the Bulls and presenting their uh, their general manager, Jerry Krause, as the big villain in all of this, which has upset some people in how he's portrayed because he's no longer alive and is very much bullied by these players. But at the same time, he is also the one that is kind of the one that is keeping costs under a certain level and knows that this team is going to break up. And what a responsibility. You have the you have the the nineties Bulls and it's it's gonna disintegrate. But episode one, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there's nine episodes to go. So it's once a week. It's not a Yeah. Well they're in I think it's two episodes they're running each week. So episode two is is out. I just haven't had a chance to see that yet. They they debuted two episodes last night. I've talked to friends that uh uh that are like sports reporters and they've gotten like an advanced screening of the first eight. And I've heard, I've heard very good things. So would you be willing to keep us updated on your thoughts just in a general sense without, you know, necessarily. I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about it as I see it. I'll, I'll definitely, I don't know how late we'll go tonight. My plan was do this with you and then maybe watch the second episode, but um, yeah, for sure. I, I will definitely keep people updated, but um I'm not committing myself to some thorough breakdown, nor do I feel people are listening to me for a thorough breakdown of a basketball documentary. So I, I can give my my uh, my opinions. Yeah, people seek them. I think that's all they're looking for. Maybe I'll 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 hop on at some point and and catch up as well. Like everybody is interviewed for this thing, from Barack Obama to every every bull imaginable during this time. It's it just seems like they got the the guest list of all guest lists for. Um, and just to hear Michael Jordan in this setting, um, it's fascinating. This is my my favorite era of basketball that I was such a, a hardcore fan. Uh, among my, my favorite sports memories is that Raptors team that beat the Bulls in that, that first year. Well, while you were busy uh, catching up with the 97 Bulls, I spent the weekend catching up on a group of strangers trapped on a forbidden island. Where they oh, are told God, you did. <laughs> that they only have to follow one rule. They cannot have sex. No, there's two rules. There's two oh, rules. Sorry. They can't kiss either. They cannot kiss and they, not, they cannot have sex with each other. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. I, all I've seen is the trailer for this. And I, I just said I would – I cannot possibly click on this and watch any of this because – You know, I, I, I've said – uh, But there's de- – I, I have no doubt that this is going to be – the contender to the last dance for what is going to capture the nation. Of course. Yes. This is of course, Netflix is too hot to handle. You know, I've definitely like proclaimed my, my appreciation for reality TV in the past. I think this is where I draw my limit. Um, (laughs) This shit is just, I find it fucking unbearable to watch. It's just the most horrible douchiest people all crammed on an Island. And you know, God, I can't go a day without it. I can't. I, this is a sex. This is just, I, I have to, I can't, I can't live without it. it, it like you're basically hearing these people like say that repeatedly for the next 10 episodes. And we're talking like, you know, they're, like their, 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 um, reward for celibacy is a hundred thousand dollars at the end. And you know, that's just, 
I guess it's um to some people it's it is that big of a struggle. Um anyway. Are, are these are these people how much of this have you watched? An an episode? Did I you was, get through a whole episode? Okay, not my choice, but I I sat through almost all of it. I slept through a lot of it too, but I I, I didn't the whole season. Again. Yeah. How many episodes is this? There are eight episodes. Oh my God. What a weekend you had. Wow. Oh yeah. Okay. So the only rules are no sex, no kissing, and you can get a hundred thousand dollars and no masturbation. So, okay. That was going to be the follow up here because that seemed to be like, can these people take care of themselves here and get this release out of themselves? The answer is no. But of course, so what they're just like, they're monitored. Like, do they have like, uh, do they have like ankle bracelets to detect? I don't know. Semen. Well, I mean, it's pretty much like you know, like Big Brother Survivor, where there are cameras pretty much all, all the time. You see night vision cameras, um, and so any sort of kiss that's detected, obviously that'll be caught on camera. Um, you know, they can pretty much see anywhere. Um, I think I don't know. So yeah, if you if you infringe, then you get the, a kiss is worth three thousand um, dollars. I believe oral is worth six thousand. And full blown sex is twenty thousand dollars, so that's that's how they. And then like there is even strategy, you know. If you, like there, okay, so you start off with a hundred thousand, and then it, this is deducted. Is that yeah, how it works? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, and, and and this amount is shared by the group. So the oh. moment you make out with somebody, you're costing everybody. You cost other money. people. Yeah. Okay. I'm probably doing such a great job for promoting this. You know, way more than the Bulls documentary. Anyway, I, I promise you, I'll never watch this, so you don't you don't have to worry about turning me off of this. Anyway, there's even strategy, and I don't give a shit about spoiling this stuff. Okay, I I really don't. So at t- at one point, like this this girl gets like, um, pretty much ostracized by the group, um, for kissing another guy, and then the other dude was like, "Oh, she made me kiss her," and then everybody believes the guy, right? So this girl like wants to get revenge, so she decides to make out with another girl. Because nobody would ever suspect that, and then like they'll you know they'll announce that the group's lost three thousand, and everybody everybody like will be like, who did it? Who did it? Meanwhile, she'll she's very satisfied in knowing that she caused it. Uh, that is, of course, until they reveal that she did it. Like the oh, the, the producers reveal that she did it. So more drama. But anyway, she ends up with the guy at the end anyway. So anyway. so if a kiss costs three thousand dollars, is that like if you're kissing somebody, so is that six thousand or is it just three thousand for the physical act? Three thousand for the actual kiss, yeah. Okay. All right. Well then, okay. Um I I saw this thing plastered all over Netflix. So oh God. I'm glad I'm glad that you dove in for the sake of everything. You know how much else. good shit there is on Netflix? Somehow I was made to watch this. But I mean, like, come on, dude. There there's some wonderful educational material, educational documentaries. Some wonderful uh, uh, save our shelter pet rescue expert Rocky Kanaka and renovation specialist Rob North travel across North America, transforming animal shelters to help homeless pets. See, you could be watching this. Yet we are the whole world is talking about this, this, uh, this, this damn uh, thing. Uh, too hot to handle. Of course, also, I, I, yeah, it's it's oh, on Netflix too. The the last dance is on Netflix. I, I didn't realize. Yeah, that's what I was saying. For for Canadians, they have to get it on Netflix. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And both episodes two. are up right now. Yes, correct. I sat down and I went to go watch the new episode of Tiger King. I got 20 minutes into this and I just turned it off. I will never watch any more Tiger King. I'm so sick of this series at this point. It was 
I got that thing out of my system. If they ever bring it back, which I'm sure they're going to redo it with with Jeff or somebody, they were already teasing it on that episode. Not a chance. The series I will recommend, and this one has been out for a while, is that McMillian series on Crave about the whole McDonald's scam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a bit of that. It's pretty good. Only six episodes. I'm almost at the end of it, and uh, me and my wife have been watching it, and then we took a break from it. But it's, to me, I think... I. I honestly think it's it's way more enjoyable than Tiger King. It doesn't have as crazy as some of the figures in Tiger King, but still some pretty out there stuff. And it's, uh, to me, I felt way less bad about myself. If anything, it might tempt you to like want to get a Big Mac by the end of it, which isn't the worst thing. Is there a murder in this thing or just uh, people stealing? Uh, there's some There's some death along the way. Oh, okay. All right, but not 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 central to the the scheme. But that's all I'll say. It's worthwhile. I would I would recommend it. Um, I'll do that after the the Bulls thing. How about that? Okay. Well, I, I would I would encourage you to watch the uh, Last Dance over okay. McMillions. Let us move on. This week, way, you know what else is on Netflix? Ant Man and the Wasp. That is correct. At least Canadian Netflix. I don't know about U.S. Netflix. But if you're a Canadian or if you have some access to this film, it is the next installment of our MCU reviews. Of course, we're coming right off of Infinity War. And how about a bit of a break from the terrible, terrible, terrible events of Infinity War? And let's dive into a more of a uh, micro, minute uh, scale adventure with Ant-Man and the Wasp. I had never seen this before this past weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts. I, I've, o- I've only seen it once in the theaters and really had not seen it until this time. So this will be one that we'll be talking about. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an introduction to the quantum realm. Um, Ant-Man and uh, the Wasp and uh, Michael Keaton, a de-aged Michael Keaton, uh, go into the quantum realm to try to rescue a de-aged Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, later on this week, we've got our regular Wednesday night shows with Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next. And then we have a bit of a different schedule this week. So Friday is going to be the Cafe Hangout. We're doing it on Friday at noon Eastern time for all patrons that can tune in live. This is to accommodate the Thursday WWE Investors Call. They're going to be releasing their earnings report and then doing an Investors Call at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Just the best time imaginable to be doing an investor's call so we will have that audio up on the site uh late thursday night but then friday we'll have a chance to have heard the call go through all the financials and then we'll do the hangout uh, friday at noon uh for this week only did they explain why they changed the time no they haven't explained why i'm assuming that the financials will still be released thursday morning like usual but the call is not happening till five uh which is notable that's that's after trading ends for the day um, but I don't know what the reason was. They've never done it. At, at the, it's always been 11 a.m. since the beginning of time. So um, interesting, uh, that fact. Um, but Thursday, we will still have uh, an interview up on the site. Pat LaProd is going to be joining us to chat about his new book uh, with Bertrand Bear, The Eighth Wonder of the World on Andre the Giant. And uh, Pat is all over the Dino Bravo episode 
of Dark Side of the Ring, he actually conducted the uh, interviews in French with uh, Dino Bravo's widow and daughter and some of the other figures in the uh, the assassination of Dino Bravo that airs tomorrow night. So I'll be chatting with Pat about both the book and the documentary that runs this week. And then with everything kind of pushed this week, we're going to have Rewind to Smackdown coming out Saturday for patrons to space it out from the Hangout. And the main event on Sunday night, it is, uh, I guess, uh, the the Brie Bella to Waze Daniel Bryan. It is the star of the post-wrestling post office. Pauline returns with Way for Total Recall. Yes, the brand new star of post-wrestling. Yes, my fiancé Pauline and I will be recapping the past two weeks' editions of Total Bellas. This, uh, I... I, I I don't believe there are any added stipulations. These two, these several people aren't trapped on an island. Um, the only that's that's another season. <laughs> the Bellas on an island. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the only uh, limitations put on this cast are uh, their own personal struggles with life and marriage. And uh, does uh, Daniel Bryan, does Brie Bella really want a second child? Daniel Bryan does, but um, Brie is having second thoughts. Well, surprise, surprise, later on in this season, she's going to get one. So we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about these two past episodes and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to discussing it. Can you imagine if they're filming now? While all this is going on this past month? Oh, man. You know, a lot of reality shows are, are shutting down production. I mean, really, yeah. you know, yeah, everything. that's right. Everything's kind of shutting down production just because, you know, everybody's encouraged to stay at home. Um, Big Brother. You, you would canceled. you would wonder if, if E is telling them, like, if they want them, like, shooting footage as they're at home that they would insert in there as well. Oh, okay. Well, um, I, I mean, I believe the season will probably end with the announcement of, of their pregnancy. So I don't know if they're even scheduled, but they are doing a lot of stuff for their YouTube channels. So uh, I guess they're they're always keeping up that way. But, uh, you know, you have to realize when you're signing up for a reality show, I mean, it's not just one camera guy. Usually it would be like a producer, a sound guy. You know, that's that's a whole lot of people. So while they're both at risk right now with their pregnancies, I would imagine that's probably off the table. All right. Uh, so you can check out our whole schedule, postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com for the, uh, the bonus shows uh, coming out this week, starting with Ant-Man and the Wasp that will be released on Tuesday night. Hey, uh, quick plug about uh, for some of the th- the excellent content that was released over the past week right on our our network. Uh British Wrestling Experience have an excellent excellent podcast out right now talking about ROH Unified, the first Ring of Honor UK show from 2006, headlined by Nigel McGuinness versus Daniel uh, Brian Danielson, the aforementioned Brian Danielson, uh which I believe John was actually released on YouTube, right? It was a few weeks ago. Um, the ROH YouTube channel put out a video and it's like two hours of Danielson matches. And one of them is the unified match from 2006. And I actually watched it over the weekend. Um, it, it, this podcast is excellent. I listened to the entire thing. It's just three buddies chatting for three and a half hours about a show they attended. And the stories are tremendous uh, throughout all of this. Um, they, and it they, just build, they, it builds not- and builds to the bus. The bus, yes. They not only attended the show, this was a show where the three of them actually met. 
So uh, it holds a great deal of significance, not just for, I think, these three, but it seems like for uh, wrestling fans all over the UK. In fact, I believe this was chosen as uh, Fighting Spirit Magazine's number one most important UK match of all time. So It's an awesome match. So yeah, uh, besides that, you get to hear uh, uh, James E., Benno, and Joe Lemon talk about their thoughts on the releases this past week from the WWE. So an excellent very lengthy, but very, very thorough and very good three-hour show. So that's up on the British Wrestling Experience feed right now. The Rocky Maivia picture show dropped this Saturday. And uh, joining Nate Milton was our man Neil talking about Journey 2 uh, and a big week for the Rocky Maivia picture show because along with a new episode comes a brand new t-shirt designed by our good friend Robert Pearson, which you can get at store.postwrestling.com. A very popular shirt already, John, and it's only been a couple days. It is... Ooh one of my favorite designs that we've ever had on our store. What what was your reaction to it? Uh, <laughs> that if Dwayne Johnson saw this, there's like a 30% chance he would retweet this. Uh, yes, or, or report it, but um, <laughs> either one would be fine. It's uh, pretty good. It's get pretty it while good. you can, okay? It is a beautiful, beautiful shirt of the rock. Rocky Maivia, to be exact, uh, in the position of uh, the... The, of course, uh, very popular, very famous Rocky Horror Picture Show logo. Although, um, you didn't hear that from me. So, uh, yeah, thank uh, congratulations and thank you to everybody who's already purchased a shirt. And then, this past Sunday, the final edition of Thunderstruck came out with WH Park being joined by John Pollock. Uh, big congratulations to WH Park on an excellent, excellent run. Yes, uh, fantastic. He was... Uh... He was in rare form, as always, chatting about uh, Jushin Thunder, Thunder Liger's retirement week. And at the end of the show, the announcement of what is up next in the WH Park uh, chronology of a podcast series. He is venturing away from uh, New Japan for his next outing. So you can look forward to that in the, uh, the coming weeks and months. I'm very excited. Yes. And, uh, and a shout out that our friends at the PWT cast have uh, Davey Portman on the show today. I, did, I didn't even remember to mention on the up next feed right now is the, uh, the, the review of The Last Jedi, a huge, huge, hugely controversial and divisive oh. movie in the Star Wars franchise. Is this one that you watched? I don't think so. Which, which one is this? When, when did this one come out? This one came out in 2017. Um, if you don't remember, you probably- who, who dies in this one? Uh, you're allowed to say now, can't you? I, I think I did see this, to be honest. Okay. Well, they all die in one of them, and in this one, what was this? Uh, Injustice for Han? No, that was, that oh. was the the one before this. Okay. Uh, in this one, it's the fifty one... fifty. I saw it. I don't know. Who cares? In this one, it's the one who's not Leia. Okay. Okay, I'm pretty sure I saw this. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, they have a wonderful <laughs> review of it. I'm not a guest, thankfully, on this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why that uh, we're not reviewing these Star Wars films. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, please listen to that one. They they do a fantastic job as always, and you can listen to all their Star Wars reviews for free on their feed. <laughs> listen to this description they have. They discuss Luke Skywalker on an island with his green milk, Princess Leia and her silly flying abilities, the random casino scene that doesn't make sense at all, all the new Star Wars aliens and animals, the lack of lightsaber fights, plus light speed hyperspace dilemma. What I found so amu- amusing about this review is that, like, I, find, I found Br- Brayden, you know, I would say pretty critical, but Davey was like, yeah, I was cool with that. 
I had no problems with the green milk at all. And like, I'm kind of with Davey. Like, I actually enjoyed the movie, but there are people that hate the fuck out of this thing. So it was really nice to hear their their uh, their interaction. Well, go check that out, everybody. So some great shows. A big thank you to everyone on the network. I think mm-hmm. we've been uh, putting out some uh, some great stuff as uh, people are carrying me uh, me and way along. So postwrestling.com, go check it out. Uh, let's get into some news here. Um, as I'm looking at the clock, I don't think episode two is happening tonight for me. Uh, but we start off uh, with some unfortunate news. There were a number of passings uh, over the last uh, – well, actually, over the last week because uh, Joe Pettisino, who was a very important figure, especially when it came to the pro wrestling television landscape in the mid-'80s to early-'90s, he was behind the – what was really dubbed the Joe Pettisino block of wrestling programming. He was – a guy that worked in radio at a very young age and then started working in sales at this Atlanta-based uh, Channel 36, WATL, and he pitched the idea of this block of wrestling programming. And it began in 1986 and ran for years, and it just featured wrestling from all over the country that they got uh, rights to and were able to run. And it started out as just running on this Atlanta station and grew into this big syndicated package. And this became, if you were growing up at this time, this was a huge entryway for a lot of people into all these different companies and getting familiar with names you may have not seen otherwise. And if just exposing people to a wider range of professional wrestling. And it's something you and I really can't speak to because we did not get this in Canada. But I mean, so many people my age, this was such a big thing if you got it in your market where they would run from 8 p.m. till 3 a.m. like wrestling, a seven hour block of wrestling. Jeez, wow. That's a so, lot. Um, Gordon Soley was was heavily involved in this with, uh, with Joe Pettisino. And then he also launched this. Uh, this other series this week in pro wrestling that he that Gordon Soley was also involved with. And this was uh, d- different companies with sending clips. And this was more of your magazine style news show covering pro wrestling. And um, it, it was also uh, featured different companies throwing in clips. And this included WWF uh in the early portion of this as well uh, through these uh, syndicated shows. He also uh, was able to meet his future wife, Bonnie Blackstone, who came on a- as a co-host with Joe Pettisino. And he continued doing this for, for years and years. And then afterwards got into promotion. He, he did have some on-screen roles with, with WCW and then got involved Probably the most famous with, with Global, with uh, the Global Wrestling Federation out of Dallas, and they got on to ESPN. That, of course, was highlighted the early days of Sean Waltman and Jerry Lynn that were, you know, it's, really that was their breakout um, series of matches was there on Global. It's where Harlem Heat was starting out. Uh, Mick Foley was featured there. Um, other people like John Layfield and such. And he stayed involved in that until about 1992 also got involved with the uh, ladies pro wrestling wrestling association and then eventually just migrated out of pro wrestling and just focused on he was a media consultant to a lot of different big broadcasting corporations got involved in radio was uh, did own a station that he bought in 2007 and he did pop up with Bonnie Blackstone at an NWA fan fest back in 2011, but was someone that was very much removed from wrestling by, by this era. 
And then last year in June, the news came out that he had suffered a stroke. So he had not been in great health and then died uh, last week. But he, he's a name that I think certainly if you're aware of him, you know of like the impact he had. And a lot of these old shows you can find on YouTube. He did one on like the history of wrestling in Atlanta. He did one on Bruiser Brody after he had died. Like they did do like like news style shows as well for this week in pro wrestling. So um, I, I would say an interesting figure and someone that um, probably served as the bridge for to bring a lot of performers to to fans that would not have seen these people otherwise in an era where you know tape trading was there, but having this in syndication was it led to just so many wrestlers just being on people's radar that that wouldn't have been. And John has a really great write-up on the site right now with a lot of links actually featuring Joe Pedicino. So uh, do you check that out? And uh, one other passing was uh, was Jack Lotz. And this was a referee that was very synonymous with the WWWF uh, shows at Madison Square Garden and later with the World Wrestling Federation during their national expansion. He was the referee typically that was appointed by the New York State Athletic Commission to do the garden shows. And he was there as the referee for some significant title changes in history. When Bob Backlund defeated superstar Billy Graham in 1978, he was the referee when Hogan beat Iron Sheik. He was also involved in some of the early WrestleMania events as well. And, you know, I was not even that aware until I was kind of researching him today was that he had this whole other career as, as an actor. Um, he served in the Korean War and was involved in a lot of different initiatives for, for veterans in the country. But it was like he had a role in, in Raging Bull as a referee. And then he did a lot of stunt work, including on The Sopranos, in a Steven Seagal film. Um, you know, he was part of the Screen Actors Guild. So quite, quite an eclectic life that he lived. He was 86 years old and passed away on Saturday. So we have a story on that, as well as uh, Dick Steinborn, who passed away over the weekend, and Kevin Clark, who wrestled as the Zebra Kid. So, um, so some interesting figures as well um, to go um, read about if you're not as familiar with some of them. Final number from SmackDown this past Friday just came out tonight, and SmackDown finished with 2,187,000 viewers, a .6 in the key demo. This was their lowest number on Fox since launching last October. So we're seeing SmackDown fall to a lower level than, than typical. They were, in, they were down to 2.3 million viewers had been there. Um, had been their floor up until now. So we're seeing that kind of depleting. And I'm imagining, Wade, like tonight I'm thinking Raw is going to be very similar, if not lower, than last week's. And this is just kind of the range we're going to see for a while. The bigger question is when when things turn around, is it going to be a slow um, uptick in audience or is this going to have a long-lasting effect where it's going to be lower numbers that they're going to have to kind of uh dig their dig themselves out of yeah yeah and and you know are there going to be any changes in the programming to uh that they'll do, make to try to combat um the trend or is it sort of an unstoppable trend at the moment um what, what do you think the, i don't think it matters to be honest with you um I that's think, that's my gut as well i think even if you were putting in some tape matches and, and breaking it up um but this has coincided. Like we have seen 
and I don't know if it's responsible, but as we've gotten away from even breaking up the shows with um, older content, it's the to me Raw is a real char uh, a real chore to get through. SmackDown less so because of the less hour, but I, I think you're right. I I don't think this is necessarily reflective of the programming itself. It's just it, it's the environment. It's these are not shows that I think people are largely that interested in at the moment it's almost like wrestling's on hold but wwe doesn't know that and i just look at once you break people's pattern and people that were so accustomed to watching raw are finding an excuse not to do they just flip a switch and come back to it once there's an arena setting and that is going to be a long way away before we're talking about crowds at any of these shows so this is for me the the this is the the short term future of these shows is empty arenas, and that might be the rest of this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how how can how important would you say it is for WWE to maintain these ratings right now? Um, I guess you know with the optimistic hope that they will bounce back later on, or is that part of the concern of of trying to maintain right now is to make sure that people stick around for the rebound. I think this is less of a concern on USA and Fox. Certainly, you don't want to be looking at your numbers going down. But I think this is still programming that we're getting each week, that we're able to put on when everything else is on hold. So I And we know like the advertising market is going to decimate these networks. So it's, what are you even doing with these numbers? Are you really selling a lot of advertising based off these numbers? For WWE, I think that you look at it that, you know, Ratings are, yes, they're a metric for advertisers and for selling your product. They also measure your popularity, and there's no question that popularity is down. So I think that's something to be aware of, but I would also not be looking at, well, what's our strategy to turn this around? I I don't know if you can sell people on winning concepts in this current environment. I think that this is kind of your baseline, and we're going to see this baseline deplete over, over time. Like a month from now, if we're in the exact same position, I don't know if 2.1 million for SmackDown and 1.9 for Raw, I don't know if we're going to be hitting those numbers. We may find even lower numbers to hit over time. Like that seems to be where this is trending. Do you see them, you know, doing, I would say, stunt maneuvers, like bringing back older talent for shows of this level? The first part of me says, well, that would be somewhat dangerous to be bringing older people back, but we had Jerry Lawler back tonight. So um, I don't know if that would necessarily be something. When that I say is... older, I guess I mean somebody like, you know, of, of like the age of Steve Austin, for instance, or the undertaker even. Um, I mean, Austin was just there a month ago. He did one of those empty arena shows. Remember that? Yes. That was, and that was right. terrible. Yeah. That was an awful, awful okay. segment with, with, uh, with Becky, with the Byron Saxton deal. Yes. Um, I don't know. It, do you feel like the Hunter thing has been promoted big for SmackDown? Because that's a bit of it. It's <laughs> I don't know if Hunter is a major uh, factor. Um, you know, really, it was the last big thing they promoted that did do well on SmackDown was Rob Gronkowski. That first episode, that was an empty arena show. That did two and a half million people. Right, right. But that was about, you know, pretty much as much for WrestleMania as anything. Without WrestleMania... What are the gimmicks that they will be able to come up with? And I suppose this Hunter thing is sort of like the first in line. Have they done a good enough job with it? I mean, I I know it's happening. Am I really excited for it? 
like a week-long celebration of Triple H. I, 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 I don't know if it was really necessary. But we'll and see they didn't they promote any. Up. They didn't promote anything tonight for him on Raw next week, even though the language has been this anniversary is starting on SmackDown. But uh, they gave you no indication tonight that it would extend to next Monday. I think if it was something like Hunter having a match, I, I think that would be something unique enough. Can can I see them actually doing that? I could actually. Yeah, I mean, even if you think the ratings will come out, perhaps not that great, and you know, kind of might possibly expose Triple H. Yeah. I mean, this is not a year where he was, you know, training and peaking for a WrestleMania match. So is he, I mean, he, he was pretty adamant when he was last asked about, you know, he was fine not doing a WrestleMania match and he, you know, he's probably spread pretty thin at the moment now. So maybe doing a match is not uh, of your best interest. Like, could you imagine that guy in this current uh, environment where, He's in need of a lot of roles, and he were to suffer some kind of injury right now. Yeah, um, I also feel like he, I, I, I think the possibility of him having a bad match in front of like an empty arena crowd. I don't know if he would want to expose himself to that. Well, we will see what they do on on SmackDown. Um, so it. it it was confirmed over the weekend that uh, Chris Hero, Cassius Ono was, uh, uh, Cassius Ono was part of the uh, cuts and furloughs from the company last week. He was somewhat teasing a retirement today when he put up uh, a photo of his uh, of his Cassius boots in in the ring, and then that was all uh, just a cryptic tweet to it was a re- announce it was a retirement of the character. Yeah, it was clearly Mark Cassius on the boots, and I think everyone figured that you know what was happening here. And then he put the video tonight. Cassius Ono is gone. Chris Hero is back. And it's, it's, it's a different independent landscape than the one he left in 2016. But when he signed that second time with WWE, he was capping off a pretty great independent run. I mean, I was following pretty much all of his stuff during those two years because a lot of it was just because of flow slam and other streaming services. You could follow, um, all the stuff he was doing. So he's several years older, but I think he could have um, a really, a really great run um, at his age and with the new people that he would have to work with. And he's kind of coming back to that scene where I think he's going to be treated, um, but like a bit of a legend to a lot of these companies that um, see a guy who was, you know, not, not utilized all that well in this last run with WWE that can still go and work a style that, I mean, he's an incredibly smart guy that to um, maximize what he can do. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what, what his moves are. I agree. I think he leaves the WWE as somebody with a lot to gain whenever, you know, the independents come back. Um, I would say, you know, I feel like his reputation has only, in some ways, only grown. I would say, as 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 somebody who um, I think is 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 a very respected mind creatively and technically for professional wrestling, and um, I feel like a lot of people will be celebrating his return to the independent and will perhaps be watching with a lot more interest. He is also, I would say, really interesting to me because of all the cuts, I I can definitely say like a good chunk of them. I don't know how interested the independents will be. Some I can de- directly see them making a 
a, a direct transition back to another TV program like an Impact or a Ring of Honor or an AEW. With Chris Hero, I mean, I definitely think it's possible that he could end up in, in any of those companies. But for him, I see just as much of a demand, if not more so, on the independents, which is not so you know, which is not really what I could say for a lot of the talents that they cut. Chris Hero, I, I could see having a lot of interest from a lot of places. Will will AEW be one of them? I wonder. I wonder. I I do feel like cosmetically, um, it it might still be a hang up. For some people, but will it be for an AEW audience? Perhaps not. We'll we'll see. I was, I'm very surprised just because with with him, I saw so many avenues for him in WWE. Mm-hmm. With the short term one being as they don't have that NXT broadcast team at the moment, put, pairing him with Tom Phillips, I think would have been great. I think that would have been an easy role to, to utilize him in. He's got a future as a coach, as a yeah. trainer, as an agent, as a broadcaster, and still has mileage as a wrestler. So he, to me, is someone that when things get back to normal, if I was WWE, if I was AEW, he would be a very, very high on the list of available talent that's out there. I agree. I agree in that sense. But I mean, I, I also wonder if he's ready to transition to that role yet seems like he still has a lot he wants to give in ring i i think that he does too i think that he i mean selfishly i would love to see this guy just travel all over the place Mm -hmm. wrestle with new people um go back to more so than just yeah than than just signing another contract somewhere i mean obviously financially that's what you have to be making your decisions with but i could see a lot of indies that are out there that they're going to want a shot in the arm when it comes to promoting shows that if Hero, you know, prices himself affordably for these companies that are probably going to be reeling, um, he can probably line up dates for himself in rapid fashion, I think, when once things uh, settle. Um, and a few MMA notes here. Amanda Nunez has stated she's not going to fight on this proposed May 9th card um, that the UFC is targeting. She just has not had uh, an adequate enough training camp for this fight with Felicia Spencer. Uh, Dan Lambert also telling ESPN that she was nursing a small injury. Uh, but Nunez did an interview with uh, Brian Campbell at CBS Sports and just stated that you know the, at American Top Team, the only people that could be there are ones who had fights coming up. So here's someone that is... You know, the top female fighter in the world defending her featherweight title and was just this is not the ideal circumstance to be getting ready for a fight in a couple of weeks. And they don't even know 100 percent if this fight is happening yet. It's the targeted date, but they don't know where they don't know if it's happening. And I can see a lot of fighters that if you don't absolutely have to fight, which I would put Nunez in that category, um, you, you have a lot to lose by going in there um, not at a hundred percent or having a camp that at least gets you close to it and respect yeah, respect to the, to the champ for pulling out. I mean, this is, these conditions are just bullshit. So, uh, all the power to her for not agreeing. And the PFL has rescheduled their 2020 season for 2021. They have st- said that their fighters will be paid a monthly uh, stipend. Uh, so something um, they will be paid. Is that um, how you pronounce that word? Stipend? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I've always, I've always wondered. Well, there you go. Um, I did want to chat a bit about uh, being the elite today. Do you want to chat about that after Raw? We could do it anytime. Yeah. Now or later. Okay. All right, let's do it after Raw. Let's get into okay. the show. Um, 
starting off with Drew McIntyre coming out. And this was the official end of the Tiger King phenomenon. It was Drew McIntyre telling us, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It just felt like, okay, was the joke this, is... Was this the jump the shark moment? This was totally the jump the shark moment. It's like, this is... We have moved on. To, like, the the world has moved on to its next thing. Tiger King was very three weeks ago, and we've moved on. He really should have said, like, no sex for me for the next 30 days. See, that one, it's too early that I think most people would not have gotten it. But maybe next week will be the sweet spot for Too Hot to Handle. Perhaps, yeah. Or some something with Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, that that's possible. Um, maybe, yeah, making fun of uh, Jerry Krause and saying, uh, you're going to do layups with us? We're going to have to lower the rim for you. That's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, so this was a Raw <laughs> that was advertised as live. Uh, yes, this is, that's supposed to be all the shows this week. Right. Okay. And we had our returning champion, Jerry Lawler smack dab right there on the right next to Michael Cole and Byron Saxton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, um, I don't know. Um, no, nothing really to say at this point. Drew's going to face Angel Garza tonight and he calls this the highlight of his week being in here. He's got a bullseye on his back. That's because he is considered the best of the best by holding this title. And he could make Seth Rollins jump through all these hoops, but he's not going to make him. He challenges Rollins to a match at Money in the Bank, staring in the camera to deliver a message when Zelina Vega comes out with Angel Garza and Austin Theory. And they accuse Drew of looking past Angel Garza tonight. And then he's jumped by Andrade from behind. Drew makes his own comeback and takes this guy out with the Claymore. And then Garza and Theory are told by Zelina, go get him. And they're like, no way. That guy's going to kill us. So then we get the 3-2-1, and Andrade takes another Claymore and is sent to the floor. And Drew says he's going to slaughter Angel Garza. I like how they continue to make Drew look like this really cool, dominant baby face. Like, you know, um... Thor. What? I told you, Thor. It's th That's Thor. who this guy is. Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, like if Brock Lesnar is sort of your schoolyard bully, Drew is like the big brother who comes and like basically, you know, beats up the bully for you. And I love how here, even when he gets jumped from behind, he's still too smart for their heels and the heels end up being too scared to face him. Um, certainly, especially after this episode, I mean, I kind of wish Zelina's group was positioned as a bit of a bigger threat, but now I do realize their purpose and their purpose at the moment is to provide, you know, a second tier heel group for Drew to just beat up week after week while your ultimate target for it, Drew is Seth Rollins. Um, you know, of course this comes with the absence of like, uh, Seth's, you know, most of Seth's stable, but, um, I, I think it continues to make Drew look like a really cool, serious threat. Which is, like, when is the last babyface that you had those uh, characteristics attached yeah. to and not in some ironic way? Like, to me, and you nailed it on the head, it's this guy, you you have confidence in this guy because he's not going to get outsmarted. He's not one of these idiot babyfaces that's going to look like an idiot. It's like he's one step ahead, and that is rare that they put a babyface in that role and... I think he owes a debt of gratitude to these heels that are just 
you know, they're playing ping pong balls for him mm-hmm. every week. But Drew McIntyre and making sure this guy's ascent to the top is a smooth one. That is the overlying priority at the moment. And I think so far they're doing a really good job with Drew McIntyre. And he himself is doing a very effective job as the top guy, which this is always the toughest period. It's not so much the chase for the title. It's once you win it and then the the follow-up, the immediate follow-up to WrestleMania that they're in right now. Absolutely. You know, I I think he's, of course, he's got a great look. He's got great confidence on the mic, but I think they still have a lot of work to do in order to make him stand out. Like all the pieces are there, but it's just, I, I fail to get really excited. Anytime I, I, I hear his name announced, even with this, like Seth Rollins match to me, it doesn't feel like it's a match that pops out yet, but we are also very early into the run. So, um, they have, you know, certainly a lot to do. And, you know, you mentioned how, uh, he owes a lot to these heels bumping for him. He owes a lot to Zelina Vega, who, you know, without her, none of these heels would really, her job is the toughest right now. Like, they are jobbing out her group pretty hard. And it's her job to basically, you know, talk them up every single time. And she's she's been doing great. She has ascended significantly in these last couple of weeks. It's mm-hmm. um, she, she, she has never been more uh, of a prominent feature on, on this show as she is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Could retire that Scottish accent, I think, though. Yeah, well, um, baby steps. Austin Theory, Alistair Black was our first Money in the Bank qualifier with Vega on commentary. Vega was all over this show. Um, the Black Mass is attempted early, but Austin is on the apron and and hops off of it. And Vega starts yelling at Theory and just says that he's trying to have a good match. And this was great because we got Zelina Vega screaming at Alistair Black mm-hmm. and it was just fun. Um, Austin was doing his torture rack, drilling Black into the turnbuckle. The ATL gets blocked. And then Black works on the arm with an arm bar and then transitions to the triangle. But Theory slams his way out of that. Vega then asks uh, or asks the announcers, who doesn't like a woman on top? And before she can even see Jerry Lawler out of the corner of the, her eye, she just stops and says, I mean on top of the game. That's what I mean. As Lawler was probably biting his tongue here. Uh, he, was, he was a lot more reserved on this show. Oh, dude, this guy, it was noticeably, he was a mute during when, that Akira Tozawa match. <laughs> when Akira Tozawa came out, when it was like Kyrie saying, I'm sure it was like, microscope oh, was on him, so he was going to behave. <laughs> Jerry, have you, you gone to the bathroom lately? This is a long show. I mean, if you, we got you. We're good. <laughs> uh, Theory's arm is hurt. Black kicks at the arm, then hits a flying knee, bridging German. Uh, some of the cutaways to Zelina were great here. I mean, just um, selling the the, uh, the offense here of Aleister Black. Theory ducks a black mass, but then the second attempt hits it. They cut the Vega, her jaws on the floor, and Black wins in 11 minutes and 50 seconds to qualify for the Money in the Bank, Climb the Corporate Ladder, Stamford, Connecticut-based taped match. Yes, thank you. Uh, which they have they have filmed. We've seen photos, uh, apparently, from... It's, it's in the promo. They've got the whole set, like, from oh. when they taped, whenever they taped this. That's right, yes. Uh, you know, I love watching Aleister Black, especially somehow in this environment. Like, his stuff just works so well. He is just so, so good. And um, I think what really stands out is that he's able to incorporate really modern MMA techniques, but he's able to choose, like, the flashiest things from MMA. Like, that, like, that, he he did, like, the standing armbar arm bar entry that was just so smooth, so beautiful, and so technical. And it was just, you know, a bit of a throwaway move, but, like, 
I, I, I can really appreciate it. And he does everything with just such great technique. I'm really glad that they're like treating him like somebody special because after seeing what they've done with somebody like Ricochet, like I think we should be grateful that they see something special in Astro Black and they're continuing to protect him with matches like this. Austin Theory, I thought was perfectly fine here. I think he's he's doing a very good job right now. Pretty, you know, fulfilling a pretty generic role. He's pretty much like third, you know, like the guy, the guy who gets beaten up amongst his Alina's crop. But you need people like that on the roster. And I think for his age and his his experience level, this is a perfectly fine role for him. He's been doing well. Um, and Zelina, you know, again, like it it sucks that you know her her group, even though they've done such a great job building it they're slowly pretty much just dropping them out. But look at the value that they've provided thus far. They made on this episode alone, made Drew look great, made Alistair Black look great. That's the role at the moment. I mean, it's um, a, it's a, it's a selfless one, but I think that it's, you know, they are, uh, they're really important on this show at the moment. Like take these three guys out and yeah. it's, it's pretty weak on the heel side. Saxton gets into the ring to interview Alistair Black and he looks at this man and says, what is your plan to climb the corporate ladder? Black says, I don't know much about corporate life. I might have to cover these up, referring to his tattoos. He says, each floor of that building will be turned into each of my opponent's personal hell, uh, which is kind of what this promo segment felt like for me uh, as he limped his way to the back. I mean, I don't know what you're to do with a question like, what is your plan to climb the corporate ladder um, <laughs> for this guy of all people? Um, anyway, that that was that. I probably came up with the best possible answer he could have with a question like that. And he was staring very much at the sign. Or sorry, at the, the briefcase, which is essentially kind of replaced the mania sign at this point. So be prepared for a lot of staring and pointing at the at the briefcase. We're going to get some training videos of guys like uh, in different uh, corporate environments or, or training inside like office buildings to prepare. Like making, making photocopies and yeah, sending long emails. I am so waiting for the spot where they are on like the fifth floor or something. And there's our truth on the, the outside as the window cleaner and like kicks his way into the office or something like that. Do you think they would do that? That sounds pretty ambitious. Um, That's a dangerous, pretty dangerous stunt. I mean, you're putting all these guys on a roof during a pandemic. I mean, where do you draw the line? Um, Maybe kicking through the window of of a building from the outside. But I mean, sure, we'll see. Uh, NXT preview. Um, They plugged uh, three matches in the Cruiserweight tournament, including... The recently let go Drake Maverick taking on Jake Atlas. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people like criticize, you know, the fact that they're making Drake Maverick wrestle. I don't think they're making him. They're. I think he clearly think wants to. I mean, I just hearing the way the guy like spoke about it, it just felt like he. I I would hope that they gave him the option to just sit out, but it sounds like if given the choice, he would be somebody who would prefer to have this last appearance on TV. Yeah, I completely agree that he, he he's not doing this against his will. And I think he's going to go in and he's smart enough to realize I've got three matches. I'm going to go out there and kill myself in these three matches. And hopefully, and along with that promo, that was a very, I, I think that was 
um, as emotional as that was to watch, I think that was also very, very uh, smart on his part to put mm-hmm. that out there that this guy is going to create a demand for himself coming out of these matches and that and that interview that he put, put up. And just the the raw emotion on his face. I mean, that's something to me has sort of become, um, uh, for better or worse, I would say sort of like a symbol of, of like the, the darkness of the past, you know, week of cuts. Like when I think about the cuts, like I really think about that video uh, the most in, in terms of like, you know, just the, the, the raw heartbreak you would see on somebody whose dream it was to work for this company and having that taken away from him. So um, I would say anybody who watches that, uh, whether or not that was his intent, who knows? But like, I would say you you can't help but want to cheer for him. Uh, not just to, whatever in this tournament, but like in any anything he does in the wrestling business after this. So I absolutely felt like it was, uh, you know, again whether or not it was intentional, it, I, I definitely think it, it. You know, people are, are are going to be on board with this guy. Yeah, I mean, that is at its essence professional wrestling is taking uh, real life emotions and then projecting it to the audience. I mean, that is, I think, very much like a a legitimate um, reaction he had. And then, you know, I'm going to use this Mm -hmm. as as content for myself. I mean, there's no harm, no foul in that. Um, They also teed up who attacked Tommaso Ciampa. And I don't have to tune in to find out this answer because I watched last week's show where it was revealed who attacked him. You don't know his name? Oh, right, right. We Okay, so we we know what he looks like. You would know his name, I guess, if you went to the the shop where they I believe have already released What is that. it? Killian Cross? Is that No, Carrion. Or... Carrion Cross, right. They have a Killian. Well, can tune into Wednesday for that. Charlie is with Shayna Baszler on the ramp and asked if she took it too far with Sarah Logan. She said, "I didn't break any of the rules. I only broke her arm." And there were numerous mentions of Sarah Logan on this show. I know. I mean, that's got to be weird. And I don't know. Like, to, I, I, I really do wonder about the circumstances of, about her firing, because I, I would say hers and Noe Jose's are really interesting, because it, it must really suck to, like, have wrestled your Loser Leaves Town match without knowing that it was your Loser Leaves Town match. And, and in like, those circumstances, like what I'm doing for this company, doing these shows, and I don't get any kind of reprieve when it comes to, like that. Um, you know, yeah. I, I was I was speaking someone with someone today. It was just like I can't believe that the people who didn't work that that worked these performance center shows were not saved uh, because of that fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really sucks. Really sucks. So how? How many of the talents you release could can you see them bring back, and and would Sarah Logan be one of them? I only ask because like, would they make so much mention of somebody that they just released? I mean, that doesn't really seem like them. It seems like once they're done with somebody, they just like try not to mention them at all. I mean, that's the typical way they go about things. Uh, for this, um, it's hard to say. Like, if six months from now, I could definitely see uh, people coming back. Sarah Logan coming back. Um, Mm. I could, you know, it's, yeah, I I could certainly see that uh, happening. Nothing's guaranteed, of course. No, nothing, nothing's guaranteed. Um, But it would, you know, I I would think that hopefully some of these performers, especially the ones that, um, like I, I say a Chris Hero, like I would say like that would be a guy I would want in my system. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason like there's no furloughing of you know these talents is it because of their independent contractor status? Correct. Yeah. Right. Like okay. You, you have to be an employee in order to be furloughed. Mm-hmm. Shayna Baszler took on Indy Hartwell, an NXT performer, and just murdered this woman. She hit a gut wrench slam, went for the stomp on the elbow, but Hartwell got her arm out of the way and then got a one count on Shayna. And Shayna gets amused at this, slams her down, knee strike, stomps the arm, and gets the stoppage in a minute. And Baszler this week was announced as the winner. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. good. They changed that up. There was no confusion this week about what this meant. And no, then she brought a, a ladder back and, and further attacked her here where she swung her into the barricade, threw her into the ladder, and then wrapped the arm inside the ladder and kicked the ladder to snap the arm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've heard Shayna compared to Minoru Suzuki a whole lot, and I thought this particular match was perhaps the most Minoru Suzuki I've seen her while on Raw. I mean, she makes the, the same face. You know, that same smirk, like, oh, you want you want to fight? Like, she really is the female Minoru Suzuki, and I, I'm very happy that we have a version of something like that on WWE Raw. Um, that arm break, I think, is such a great spot that they've done a great job of building over the past two weeks. I've always wanted some of this from Shayna from the beginning, and a lot less of her being a fucking vampire. Like, I don't know why they didn't just use this spot on Becky from the start, I think, on, with the disarmor breaking Becky's arm that worked like that writes itself. And it wasn't as ridiculous looking as, as, as the vampire thing, but also a lot of people like the vampire thing. So whatever. Did, did, did a lot of people like the vampire thing? Seemed like it. Yeah. Some people were like, wow, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, certain, certainly I think people like the spectacle of it and just the, the wildness of it. I guess I'm somebody who prefers a bit more realism when it comes to a character like Shayna Baszler. And I thought this aren't like the, the arm break stuff is just, is wonderfully done. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander took on Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne. Uh, just a fun three-minute match. I really am enjoying these two as a tag team just for, you know, if you're going to be getting just a, a slew of matches, and on Monday we had 10, um, I, I I get into these guys a lot. Just uh, a lot of fun double-team maneuvers here. Uh, Vink went for this border toss to Ricochet that was countered into a head scissors. Then uh, Cedric hit a swinging neck breaker on Thorne while he elevated him onto Vink's shoulders to send him off of. Ricochet's in, standing shooting star, Vink makes a save, and then they finish them with the recoil into the lumbar check, pinning Shane Thorne in 310. An entertaining little match at a perfect length. Uh, worth noting that Shane Thorne has now dyed his hair platinum blonde. So, Like Dino Bravo did. Well, like a lot of wrestlers, but uh, sure, that's topical. Yeah. Uh, you know, this this really, I, I, I think, was a bit of a rehab match for Cedric and Ricochet after their loss to the Viking Raiders. Uh, the new carp, uh, carpal oh, karaoke Vi- Fuck. <laughs> Viking, we'll Viking Raiders. Uh, they are a fantastic, fast-paced team, but I think as we saw with their loss last week, they certainly have a ceiling. You know, they really are, as entertaining as they are, I can't help but feel like they will never make it out of the undercard. Well, there's a place for everybody. Unfortunately mm. for these two, it's it's in the tag team, but they are a fun tag team. I think they are they're, they're the Paul London and Brian Kendrick of this this era at the moment. They're you not know, they're not going to get far, but they're going to have fun matches. See, like uh, that's perfectly fine. But I feel like you could put anybody on two hundred five live together to make a team like that. 
To me, I thought Ricochet was a real special talent that really should have been like he is a special a talent, more. but not not in this company, um, unfortunately, and or at least not on this brand because I think he'd be uh, utilized significantly better um, down in NXT. Mm-hmm. Charlie interviewed the Kabuki Warriors, and Charlie points out that the height difference between Kyrie Sane and Nia Jax was the difference maker last week. So what's going to be different this week, given that you're still the same height this week? Asuka calls her stupid, and Sane is ready for the rematch. You're short. What are you going to do? Um, in an MMA fight, I guess you would. You would. Bring that up, I guess, wouldn't you? I guess Ray is going to be fucked tonight against Murphy, won't he? (laughs) Bobby Lashley is inside of an empty gym, presumably the performance center. Lana enters the picture, and he warns us he's going to flip a tractor tire. Mm -hmm. More to come. Kyrie Sane and Nia Jax, a rematch from last week. Sane starts slapping her own ass, and that is the prelude for a sleeper hold but then gets tossed off. Nia did the giant swing. And then Asuka is yelling instructions from backstage so Sane can't hear her. And then tries a sunset roll-up. By the way, this week, like, Lawler, um, you know, instead of perhaps, uh, I don't know, making up his own interpretations of a Japanese wrestler's moves, instead this week he was translating Japanese. He was translating for Asuka here. Well, maybe he... um, Really, maybe, like, maybe he learned the language over the past week. Maybe yeah. he learned some some customs and um, maybe, really maybe increased, he, yeah, he's incre- increased that sensitivity to the point where he understands Japanese. Listen to Thunderstruck. Yes. Sane attacks her knee. Jax just lifts her. The knee gives out, and then Sane hits her with this spinning back fist. Oh, and there was the the spot where when she blocked the sunset roll up. Jax lifted up Sane and threw her into the corner, and it looked like Kyrie Sane had been shot out of a cannon into this corner. It looked oh, brutal. It looked terrible. And Kyrie, oh. of course, is somebody with a recent history of concussion. So I mean, it's especially scary with her. Oh, like one week against Nia, I think you know you've you've done your work for the month. Two weeks straight against Nia Jax, uh, it just wasn't pretty. This looked really sloppy, and it was. It's the same thing about like the the buckle bomb that they've talked about. Is that it's also the fact that when you're going backwards, it's like you can't brace for the impact because you don't know when it's coming, and it's and it's more dangerous that way. And this this granted wasn't a buckle bomb, but it's still the same trajectory here. And if you go and watch the way in which she goes into this corner, it's just and she's so tiny. She just looks like she breaks as she goes into this corner. A lot of that is on the person throwing you too to protect you. And I just thought Nia looked really sloppy. She won with the Samoan drop in four minutes and eight seconds. But yeah, this was uh, Kyrie Sane just being tossed around here towards the end. I've noticed in the past several weeks, like Nia looks certainly more limited now. And I don't know if it's a conscious decision to emphasize her giantness or if it's due to the limitations from her surgeries, but she... Looks like she's a bit less mobile since she, since she's returned, I'm, or it could certainly certainly be a combination of both of those things. But you know, I mean, I mean du- double ACL surgery will do that. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's t- absolutely understandable. But it there, therefore puts the onus on her opponents to make her look good. And poor Kyrie just took a hell of a beating here. Um, you know, this this did end up, in my opinion, becoming a compelling match because of the David Goliath dynamic, but. 
you know, to me, it's also a reminder of how great of a baby, baby face Kyrie Sane once was. Rollins did a tape promo. He said that him and Drew have both beaten Brock Lesnar for the title at WrestleMania. They both command respect. They both have a deep passion for this industry. And uh, I guess as he was conveying to David Starr last week, <laughs> he accepts the challenge to Drew out of necessity because now more than ever, the universe, the WWE universe needs a leader. He's a proven leader. Drew isn't. And he will be the light in the darkness. Um, these were words. You know, first, let me say, I'm so glad WWE finally allowed their talents to record a cell phone video from home rather than flying somebody like Seth Rollins in here just to do this. I think it's a move they should have done a long, long time ago, especially for a lot of your your guys who just came in to do like interviews with with Charlie with with real, really nothing like, else. like Ray last week made no difference at all. You know, the um, the I will say maybe it did make a difference because I certainly feel like perhaps a producer would have tightened this thing up a little bit. I don't know if it's just because of the setting or if it's because of the fact that I think Seth is a very one dimensional supervillain. I found the promo very predictable and unnecessarily drawn out. So um, I just got a bit long winded to me. Then we heard the words earlier today, Eric and Ivar took a ride in the Viking Raiders version of carpool karaoke. Eric and Ivar are in a car. Ivar is holding a turkey leg. They keep chanting their team name as they put together some of the most god-awful rhymes that I have ever heard. And God knows for the last 15 years, I've heard a lot of gripes about my rhyming skills. But these included... We're men with beards who all should fear. Viking Raiders! We worship Thor and will knock them to the floor. This was among the worst two minutes I have ever watched of Raw. There is a different category of things I've been utterly embarrassed to have watched, but in pure start to finish, this is so awful that it didn't even belong on television. This is very high up there. I would call this. Never mind. <laughs> Viking experience. I guess so. This was the Viking experience. Um, it was Viking awful. That's what it was. <laughs> that was the initial joke. And then I hesitated, but I got it out. Oh, um this was so shit, dude. Like, what What was this? Like, this is one where, okay, guys, we had an idea. This is how it turned out. All right, it didn't work. So we're not airing it. This was this was so awful. This is a stage of a WWE tag team's career where they've given up on pushing them as a serious act. So they resort to turning them into some form of a comedy duo in order to give them a bit of personality. This is sort of their version of, like, when... The Street Profits um, did their uh, uh, SNL uh, terrible thing. This is their version of what the Revival would have done if they had worn their uh, ninja outfits that, that were designed for them. They're just now a couple of weirdos who uh, 
you know, really believe that they're Vikings and they chant uh, mindlessly um, as they drive to the venue. Horrendous segment. MVP and Apollo Crews was our next qualifying match. MVP cut a promo that uh, he's going to beat Apollo Crews. He knows all about corporate meetings and wearing suits, and he has already told his agent to book a private jet to Stanford because money talks. He starts the match with Apollo Crews, and he tells Apollo, you're NXT good. You're not Monday Night Raw good. <laughs> wow, that's... Take that, Johnny Gargano. You don't think it's developmental? Tell that to your road agent here. <laughs> he should have uh, waited for the Hunter's appearance on the show to say that. Damn. Um, he had Cruz in a Steiner recliner. Then he starts talking shit, saying, I've got wins against people like Batista, Rey Mysterio, Kane. You don't have wins against anyone like that. I believe he chose, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, does he normally do this move, the camel clutch? Um, it's not one I It doesn't stand out recall. to me, but, like, I mean, I, I, I almost feel like the guy chose the move just to, like, allow himself to taunt crews with both their faces facing the camera um and if that's the case i mean to me that's like an extra level of like i think detail and experience with like doing tv matches that a guy like mvp would have the the taunting is either hit or miss and it seems to be there's a lot more emphasis on it um because of the empty arena well yeah but it wasn't that wasn't always the case with these empty arena shows but i think that's something they're realizing that Mm -hmm. it's that much more of a dead atmosphere if you don't have guys talking shit with one another it's also just like to me one of the advantages of not having a crowd there you can now use your own voice to tell the story that you want to tell it conveys your own personality and you're not just relying on the commentators or your facial expressions are you trying to say the commentators aren't essential they are essential, but they're, you know, they're, um, they're not always, you know, you can only convey ramen noodle moonsault with such an, uh, a face. Which, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get there. He went for the playmaker and Cruz kicked out of this, came back, um, the ball and elbow got stopped with an insiguri. So Cruz does his comeback with the military press, standing moonsault, shooting star, and then the spinning sit out power bomb for the win. That Tom Phillips calls in this man's four years on the main roster the biggest win of his career, like he was Dana Brooke on Friday. We certainly had that same debate, and I have I had a bit of deja vu right now. Did we try to come up with a bigger win for Dana Brooke? We and, didn't come up with one. And can you come up with a bigger win for Apollo Cruz? I think I would if I if I actually looked it up. I I would take this one. It's really no different than Dana Brooke, who was called up around the same era as Apollo Crews, that it's really an indictment of this roster that these two have had no meaningless or have had no significant wins in four years each. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, if you're talking about underutilized, I absolutely would say Apollo Crews would be near that top of that list. So um, I didn't think it was that outlandish of a statement from Tom. I thought this was a great little match. I think, you know, MVP provided a really great canvas for Apollo to show off his athleticism. Um, I think, you know, with Apollo, I, I feel like his biggest problem is still his inability to really showcase that much emotion in the ring. I think you see glimpses of it in, in like a fire up here, but even then it required like the commentator to really explain the guy's 
the guy was like bottling all of his frustrations up and releasing it here in this fire up. I need a bit more from Cruz himself in order for me to really get to feel something for him. Um, he's, you know, certainly like always in danger of just being a guy who smiles, who does big moves, but I'm really hoping this run, he's able to move past that, whether it be through storylines or in-ring storytelling. MVP, I thought though, to me was a standout in this match. He, number one, that promo, I think sounds so good, told a nice little story in a short amount of time. He is really interesting to me this run because he finds himself, like at a time when both agents and talents are on the chopping block, somehow MVP at his age, like is able to prove his value, earning himself a regular spot on TV. And I I think it's deserved because in every appearance he's had, he's been a standout performer because of his ability to speak. Like he speaks better than like ninety, eighty five percent of this roster. Oh, if he, if he was fifteen years younger, um, his his charisma and his uh, speaking ability, like he would be a push guy at the moment because mm-hmm. he's a better talker than, than most on this show. But you know, like he's not that age, but that doesn't mean you know he ha- he's kind of in that sweet spot where like he's got the wisdom of, of a veteran who knows how to talk while he could still wrestle. And I mean, that puts him in a position right now to essentially be a guy to put over new talent like Apollo Crews who need opponents like MVP. So um, how long until Jeff Jarrett's wrestling in these empty arenas? Jesus. I don't know if Jarrett can promo as well as MVP. <laughs> Someone brought it up and I, I can't remember who oh it was, God. but it was like this, this climb the corporate ladder idea. Like it's really like the king of the mountain on steroids. Like it's just that match to the extreme. Sure. I mean, it's right now the, the, the playbook the world is following is DDT. Okay. Between like this corporate ladder match between what the bucks are doing, like DDT is really looking like a pioneers. Charlie's with Ruby riot backstage. She had a jacket that read riots, not dead on the back. And then she is asked what happened to the riot squad. She said she needed double shoulder surgery after carrying Sarah Logan and Liv Morgan and making them look good. Now Logan has a broken arm. Liv will be lucky if she doesn't leave with two broken arms, and I'm going to show her how weak and how small she is without me. Yeah, yeah. It's a big I mean, blow-off match coming up here. Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan. When, when was their last match? Their last singles match. They had that one on TV when Sarah Logan was the referee. Right. And was there a any conclusion? Two ago. Um, it doesn't matter. Sorry, I don't, no. I don't mean to quiz you. I, I guess I like, yeah, anyway, I, I thought this feud was, I guess, done, but like, I guess this is just more so, you know, I like, I wonder how much of this was, was them wanting to just tie a nice little bow on the riot squad altogether. Like now that one of them is actually gone to, you know, c- completely just like end this feud and, end any sort of like connection between these three. Liv Morgan beat Ruby riot in that match. Right. Yeah. So, so what feud, are they even fighting over now? Well, the feud was already over, and that's why maybe I suggested that, you know, was this just like a nice little maybe. way of, of closing that chapter? Yeah. I mean, they really have not come up with any anything for Ruby Riot since she's come back, and it seems that Liv is the one that they're going forward with. Oh, yeah, yeah. From the from the onset, it's it, it looked like, you know, Ruby was there just to basically, like, you know, lift Liv. And that's what we got in this match. I mean, Riot attacked her, kicked her at the ribs, and then uh, there's a cravat, apply it onto Morgan. She gets driven into the mat, 
And Ruby yells, I will always own you. And then she ran the ropes and Liv owned her with a flatliner and pinned her in 318. And that, yeah, is kind of where you've gone from this. Like that, I don't think there's much left here. There's almost like even a little slideshow montage of the Riot Squad and Happier Times at the beginning of this whole thing. So uh, this might have been it for the Riot Squad for now. You know, I, I thought it was a good brief little match for Liv. Without a crowd present, you can really focus on the technical quality of the in-ring. And I think Morgan continues to, like, you know, show improved confidence and ability. So um, it's been a good show, I would say, up to this point for building new talent between, like, her, Cruz, Ricochet, Cedric, Drew, um, uh, Alistair. And Bobby Lashley and this tire. That, okay. that too. Well, really the tire. They were trying to get the tire over multiple <laughs> times. That's right. Lashley's all warmed up, and he flips the tire. He then moves on to a larger tire. He was like, "Any this is a diff- really difficult tire, but any elite athlete can do this, but only an exceptional athlete can do this one. Byron is unsure he could lift the bigger one, and we are left at the edge of our seats to find out later tonight, will he flip the larger tire? Well, okay, this is... The tire flips are like, you know, a thing. And and they are very difficult. I mean, this was just... I, I mean, just the show a feat of strength. They aired a, they showed a graphic for Howard Finkel, but didn't uh, replay the video package. Uh, to be honest, the, the better video was the one they put up on YouTube, where it was just like memories from the likes of Greg Hamilton and Adam Pierce and The Miz. Um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are featured in it. And the video that they ran on SmackDown, it's just the edited down version of his Hall of Fame induction speech, which if you go back and watch, what they edited down was even more of the embarrassing stuff. Like Lillian Garcia stripping him down to his underwear. Like that, that's pretty much 70% of his Hall of Fame induction video. I was surprised they didn't, you know, show a bit more than just the graphic, just considering how ingrained he is in, in their in their fabric, John. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised. I was too. Like, I thought that, man, I, I thought they would do a lot more than just this. Like, this was absolute bare minimum for people if you did not see SmackDown. It's like he got a graphic and it was just thrown into the, the middle of the show. There, there are like, you know, certain levels. It, it's very morbid to talk about this, but there are certain levels of like where you see somebody um, fits within, I think, you know, their their history with the amount of publicity they get or airtime they get when they pass. And you can be a guy who just gets a graphic. Uh, well, really, you could be a, guy, be a guy who doesn't get a, get, a, get a graphic at all. But then you could be a guy who just gets a graphic. You can be a guy who gets a video and a graphic. And Howard kind of you know, fits in that. But then you can be a guy who gets a video and a graphic across multiple shows. Um, and I, I guess I considered Howard Finkel like at that status. Just, again, considering just how... Like, at one point, the longest-tenured employee of the company. Um, so, anyway, whatever. It, it, it might, it, it's probably a bit of a nitpick. I don't think it's a nitpick at all to honor a guy who had been employed with you from the very beginning of your... Well, they did. It's just they didn't do it across two shows. Well. Uh, Rey Mysterio and Murphy were in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Murphy starts off saying, Not bad for an old man. After an opening exchange, and Tom Phillips goes to Lawler 
you must have heard stuff like that. What, what do you think there he's trying to do? Like just, just defer to the old guy here. Um, Ray gets attacked and he injures his finger and he goes down to the floor. He almost wants a timeout. He thinks his finger is dislocated and this becomes the focus of Murphy's attack for the whole match. He goes after the Ray, throws him into the timekeeper's area, then stomps the hand on the steel ramp. After the break, he's still going after the left hand until Ray sends him to the floor and hits a Rana off of the steps and starts to fight back. He sets up for the 619, but Ray uh, Ray is stopped when Murphy gets up and Ray then hits him with a tilt-a-whirl DDT. And in maybe the most uh, most, uh, interesting point that Byron Saxton has ever brought up, asked... Do you think Ray could have properly hit the 619 by getting a grip on the rope with his injured hand? I think that's great commentary. I am not being sarcastic. I think it's like the best point he's ever brought up. Yeah. I I, I thought the announcers did a great job assisting with the storytelling of the finger in this match. There's a sliding head scissors on the floor that sends Murphy into the barricade. And then we see this awesome sequence where Murphy catches him on a high cross Delivers like this TKO into a knee to the chest. Kamagoye, brain buster. Ray kicks out. Ray then stops the cheeky Nando's kick. Hits the destroyer off the turnbuckle. 619. Byron got his answer. And the frog splash for the win. 15 minutes, 3 seconds. Ray is on a plane to Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> or was on one. Right. This was an excellent match. You know, between This was the- very good. Between the storytelling with the finger to the great like combos and counters and on top of counters from Buddy Murphy, like I think it's already really hard to have a good match in front of no crowd. But to get to the point where I would consider something excellent, I think is a real testament to how good both of these guys are. Uh, the finger story was told really well, very believable selling from Ray, and I think it was greatly assisted by the announcers for their detail and focus. And you know that that especially goes to Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton for doing a great job. I, I think they were excellent on this show, actually. I loved M- Murphy's heel work here, saying things, you know, at the beginning, like, not bad for an old man. Like, you know, like we were talking about, I think it's great for wrestlers to kind of take advantage of the empty arena setting to use their voices during these matches to, to explain their motivations. Um, it, it lived up to my very high expectations, this match. Very good match. I thought the best match on this show. Charlie is with Zelina Vega and Angel Garza and... Zelina just calls Charlie on her shit when she's asked why things didn't go to plan. How do you know they didn't go to plan? And Charlie had a great answer that, well, uh, your guy lost. Austin Theory lost. She says, um, Drew McIntyre may not make it to Money in the Bank. And then as she left, Angel Garza flirted with Charlie. But the star of this is Zelina Vega. Her, Her confidence, it's so evident, has grown significantly in this role. She has a ton of presence with her. And has really risen to this uh, role as being the top heel voice on the show at the moment. She is certainly somebody that I think, you know, in hindsight, we could say was underutilized just managing one person because she has enough talent to go around for an entire stable. And she's certainly living up to like, um, you know, just just to to her potential. And I would say she's got even more to offer in the future. Um, But, man, I felt bad for her here because like what is a manager supposed to say, right? Like she has the unenviable task of continually trying to rebuild interest in her team's chances after repeated defeats. And, you know, she didn't really have a whole lot to work with here besides like, how do you know? Well, how do you know? 
And um, but she makes it work. It's all in the delivery that she yes. has, where she just shuts down the opposition. Charlotte Flair took on Caden Carter. Flair just drilled her with a boot and starts yelling at her. Always do your homework. Carter got a crucifix bomb and then was working for this Koji clutch. Flair just gets up, moves to the rope, and starts elbowing Carter in the face. Carter missed a boot, spear, and then Flair applies the figure four, starts slapping Caden in the face before moving to the figure eight, and Carter taps out in three minutes and 45 seconds. For what was pretty much a squash match, this was entertaining for what it was. Charlotte was just the absolute bully in this situation, um, mm-hmm. beating down Caden Carter and humiliating her. Agreed. Very nice little match between these two. You know, we're certainly seeing a, a, a higher trend of squash matches with these empty arena shows. And on this episode, I, I really enjoyed a lot of them. Uh, they've been giving a lot to the underdogs, you know, for, for them to shine and catching their opponents off guard. And I thought you got to see a good chunk of what Carter was capable of here. I really liked the transition from the crucifix to the octopus while she was still suspended on Charlotte's shoulders. Really good struggle as, as they transitioned. Um, Charlotte, I, I would say, is definitely feeling a bit refreshed as an NXT champion. If anything, just for the ability for her to face a different group of people. It's a new division for her to dominate. And, you know, it makes use of her presence as sort of like somebody on the top of the mountain on both Raw and NXT, but without taking either Becky or, or, or Bailey's spots. I would say if you're going to be doing this kind of formula of a lot of a, a lot of, of squash matches and you're going to kind of follow the, the template of a, you know, Jim Crockett promotions in 1985, I think it's very important for after these matches all the winners do a promo afterwards. Mm-hmm. Just give us some direction. Where are you going? Who are your sights set on? Versus, or just give us 60 seconds and give us something that's going to be like why, what this win meant and some direction for where you're going versus just a match for the sake of the match. Uh, and I think – and they did do that quite a bit. Like we are getting more promos on this show and I think that that can be something that at the very least, it's it's giving people more chances to cut promos and – could you could really see some benefits in a short amount of time for people that are not used to talking as much even if it's a question like how do you plan on climbing the corporate ladder well you sometimes have to be very creative and the best promos are the ones that can take any question and manipulate their answer to serve their purposes sure right uh did they mention if charlotte was going to be on nxt or not they didn't say if she was going to be there this Wednesday. She was on there last week, and they're teeing up a match with Mia Yim. But they haven't announced if they're doing that this week. Right. Lashley is now with the 450-pound tire. Mm-hmm. I was so bored during parts of this show that I actually started to look up some of these tires and their weight. I could not find any that are 450 pounds. They said that this was a monster truck tire. Yeah, I'm aware. I... I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt that this thing was 450 pounds. Okay, wait a second. This official monster trucks all run tires that are 66 inches tall by 43 inches wide. They run on only 8 to 10 pounds of pressure and weigh 800 to 900 pounds. So 8 to 900 pounds. So this even, is nothing. Even bigger tires for this guy to flip. Okay. He struggles, and then he has a hissy fit. He starts kicking the tire, and then he just turns it over. That was the culmination of these segments tonight. I kind of laughed when he was like resorting to kicking the tire. Ugh. Yeah, I don't really know what this was meant to showcase other than like the guy is really strong and he gets frustrated 
Um, I was more so taken aback by just the the all of a sudden the the dropping of this Lana marital issue angle. Um, yeah, maybe maybe he was too busy thinking about her attire, and that affected his strength. I forget what like what podcast or what show it was, but like I I I heard Leo Rush talk about the ass pose portion of his career with Bobby Lashley on something recently. And God, it was just exactly what you expected. Just a Vince McMahon idea that he was somehow obsessed with. Yeah. And uh, went as far as to demonstrate the ass uh, pose for Lashley. And like, and you could tell like Leo Rush talking in this, I forget if it was like an Instagram live or a podcast. I my apologies, but it was like, he was as bewildered as I think the whole world was watching it for the first time. And I imagine like lastly, very much the same. So was this, you know, another similar, um, you know, uh, path of Genesis pot could be, could be, you're going to lift a tire. Okay. <laughs> to, for, for what purpose <laughs> you're lifting a tire. Like maybe maybe Vince like uh that's like his new thing. Maybe he's trying to lift tires. Maybe that's that's his way to convey strength. Who fucking knows, man? Or maybe carpool karaoke is his new thing. Could have been something that he got into uh, during this quarantine period. Um, but plenty you, of usually, things. I think we've come to realize the what the fuck segments are usually Vince ideas. It's also, I mean, there will be times that you know, like carpool karaoke. I guarantee you, there's going to be someone. That's going to tell me how wrong I was. How oh, that, that was great. That was great. You're so negative. Why, why are you always so mad about stuff? I'll tell you that in my history, and we've been doing this show for a little while, is that the things we're the most negative on in time when the performers that we are speaking about have the freedom to share their thoughts, they are more often than not absolute parallels of what we said a year prior about that very segment. Dean Ambrose. Like that entire Absolutely. Run. Like yeah. all these things where it's like, oh, you're you're so negative. I I believe that uh, a lot of the things that most people your gut reaction to is the is that times ten of these performers. Because this is their livelihood, this is their careers. They are gonna be more critical than any single person that is reviewing this show is ever going to be. And John Moxley is a perfect example. And there's probably Dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of Leo Rush examples of stupid ideas that they somehow had to execute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lean over. The heat is, we've got to look at your ass. Lean over. It's his ass. And you're going to call it. Stupid. And you need mallets. We really need these mallets, so let's send them over to Saudi Arabia. Andrade versus Akira Tozawa. This is where Jerry Lawler just disappeared into the ether. Tozawa came out. He was super aggressive. And he runs off the apron with that senton. And this an extra large ramen noodle. Moonsault. <laughs> Man, this, he, uh, this was the, the ramen noodle moonsault special, which if this, guy, if this guy ever leaves with WWE, that's going to be the name of that move. He's oh, going to merchandise that shirt. I think that moves over now. I mean, number one, okay, yeah, it, it's it's incredibly ignorant and, and racist. 
the fact that it, he called a centon a moon salt, I think, is what makes it that much better. It's amazing. <laughs> Imagine Jerry Lawler just on camera apologizing, saying, "Everyone, I want to apologize. <laughs> yes. It was a ramen noodle." <laughs> Oh. It was a ramen noodle senton, and I'm so <laughs> sorry to have besmirched the great name of the moonsault. 96, like, heel Jerry Lawler would, would have done that exact same thing. Oh, my uh, God. Vega gets between them. Andrade hits him with a cheap shot. Tozawa uses the octopus. Andrade then suplexes him. It's countered with a small package. Um, they're just going at a crazy pace here. A series of uh, near falls from Tozawa with uh, a Rana hooking the legs, wheelbarrow roll up, and then a super kick. Goes to the top for the senton, but it's stopped, and Andrade hits the hammerlock DDT off the turnbuckle to win in 4.57. I, I thought these guys, they maximized the time they had. and it was uh, This was a good match for the time they had. I don't know what sort of conversation they might have had with Kira Tozawa backstage after that uh, that whole thing happened last week. But they gave this guy 90% of this match. This match was like 90% to Zaw on offense. And he fucking killed it. He took full advantage. Like, the guy was working like his job was depending on it. He was remarkable. So much intensity. So much speed. Everything he did just looked amazing. Um, you know, like, he's just... He's proven himself to be a, a, an incredible, like, utility guy who can really make anybody look good. Uh, it's too bad. I don't see him ever getting a major push on the main roster in the WWE. But I absolutely hope that they realize how talented and how hard how hardworking of a performer they have. Then the Street Profits came out and they welcomed Bianca Belair for her match with Santana Garrett. And this was the most excruciating match I've ever watched. This featured five essential commentators for this match, all next to each other. Belair. This is nothing against these women, but the Street Profits were just – I mm. nearly turned the sound off here. They mm. just screamed for four minutes and 13 seconds. I hated this. I hated this so much. I could not listen to it. The Street Profits are just death for Bianca Belair. Uh, she won with the KOD. I, I, I actually had the exact same reaction as you did, and – um I can understand why they did it. I mean, the the Prophets, for one of the earlier NT Arena shows, they had him on commentary and, like, the Street Prophets doing this this exact same gimmick actually, like, helped the match and provided, you know, background noise for a show where there was none. For some reason, on in this match, it completely took away from the performances in the ring. Like, they're amusing on commentary, but they were so over the top that it was to the point of them being obnoxious. Like to me, almost in real danger of sounding like heel managers overcompensating for their wrestler. Um, like they made they made Bel Air stuff almost look like less impressive because they were so clearly like, you know, just exaggerating their reactions. Yeah, I just thought this killed the match dead for me. I, I hated this so much. Uh, then they aired the Money in the Bank promo, and this featured um, overhead shots of the roof of WWE headquarters with the whole setup with the ladders and with the briefcases hanging up. So this would have been done when, when they when they shot the matches. I, I will yeah. say, like, the, the, the commercials that they have shot for this, I think it, they're very well done, too. If you have no idea what this pay-per-view is, this – Commercial, I think, would heighten your curiosity of what the hell is this going to be? And 
visually, it looks really cool where you see this set on top of the headquarters with like a helicopter over top of it shooting this. I feel like they, I, I, I wonder when this was planned, uh, because I, I wonder how much they might have learned from the buzz coming out of the Boneyard and Firefly Funhouse matches where I think they they realize like getting out of the empty arena and perhaps trying a brand new idea that hasn't been done before that might elicit a lot more interest than, you know, trying to do a half-assed version of your typical money in the bank ladder match. If they promoted this as any other money in the bank ladder match, certainly, you know, with, with the added uh, handicap of an empty arena, I can tell you, I definitely wouldn't be as interested, but this like climb the, the ladder, like, you know, battle through the state, like, Game of Death, but with the Titan Towers. I'm actually really curious to see how they pulled it off. And then Drew McIntyre, Angel Garza closed the show. Garza was caught on a dive and then came off the steps into a Glasgow kiss. Austin Theory gets drilled with a punch by Drew. And then um, Garza comes off the steps with a drop kick, but he is sent into the post. It's pretty much all Drew here. He hits a double axe off the top, does the kip up. Garza then flees as Drew starts the dreaded countdown, and as he's leaping out of the ring, gets his pants ripped off by Drew McIntyre, and then Drew proceeds to hit a ramen noodle moonsault to the floor. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call Topes from now on? <laughs> uh, there's a Claymore. This was a very impressive maneuver, and I think added because Drew does not bust this out all that often. True. Yeah. Drew. You said that, not me. Claymore onto Theory, Andrade sent over the barricade, and then he lifts up Garza for the inverted Alabama slam that's countered with a victory roll, which was a cool counter. Drew gets out of that, Claymore, and he wins at 5.04. After the match, he hits another Claymore to Garza, tells Zelina Vega, keep lining them up. She's like, I'm trying. You keep killing all my guys. She hits, or he hits another Claymore to Austin Theory. This is where they just felt like they were killing time. Um, Andrade is like chased away and Drew just lays on the ramp like he's Shawn Michaels with the, the belt pose uh, doing the Tranquilo pose. But he yes. did have clo- clothes on. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it certainly sucks. I think if you're a fan of this stable and, uh, you know, a possible Los Ingobernables uh, uh, formation within the, the WWE, this was a show where I thought the whole stable was pretty much killed because you had... Andrade lose last week, and then you pretty much had the other's job this week, too. Uh, but, you know, all that said, you're, you're coming out with an overall positive because look how cool Drew McIntyre looks here. And, you know, Zelina Stable aren't the focus guys for this cycle. It is Seth Rollins. And yep. as long as you dangle that carrot yeah. for Drew, like, you know, the other guys are unfortunately expendable. So that was Raw. Um you know, I, I think at various points, I think you had, um, you know, different different people that you are building up. I think the biggest factor is Drew McIntyre, and I think overall they're getting it right with Drew, and he's coming off very natural. He does not feel packaged or um, – also the fact that in these empty arena settings, you don't have that fear of the audience rejecting a guy. Um, yes. Which I, I feel even in a normal setting, they would not be mm-hmm. at the moment, but I think, that's, I think they would that's actually a risk react. they don't have. Well, I think they, like in Drew's case, I sense that they would react bigger to him. Like I don't sense like the, the Roman or Cena kind of like, uh, you know, turning on the company push guy. I, I mean, from what we've seen of Drew's reactions up until WrestleMania, he's been getting very positive ones. So 
Uh, if anything, I would say, you know, it's it's certainly it's it's sad that we're not getting to see this push in front of a crowd because I think the crowd will react positively. But you're right. Like they certainly have a lot more control over, you know, their own narrative without the crowd's influence. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on Raw before we go to feedback? I actually thought it was a very good edition of Raw. I think almost every segment had a purpose in building a new star. I didn't feel this episode dragged. I was impressed with a lot of the matches, with my favorite being Murphy versus Ray. Some very very stellar performances from Tazawa, MVP, Aleister Black, Drew McIntyre. But there was certainly some bad stuff on this show as well. I thought Nia looked pretty bad, even scary. Um, the Viking Raiders thing, Profits uh, on commentary... And the lastly tired deal, they they were all, you know, pretty perplexing. But there was nothing on this show that made me want to switch off or anything. This didn't drag to the extent Raw did last week for me. It's still long shows um in this format, but I think that there was um there was negative on the show, don't get me wrong, but you could also take some uh there were some good matches on this. Ray Ray and Murphy would be at the top. I like what they're doing with with Zelina Vega. I think she's really uh risen to this role that they are putting they are throwing a lot at her, but she to me is um she's doing very well in this role and I think she has definitely benefited over these past couple of weeks with uh with a big position on the show. The forum gave this show a 5.18. So Adam from the street starts off our feedback. Sometimes wrestling surprises you in ways you would never think. When Aleister Black came out and I realized Zelina Vega was on commentary, I groaned. I thought, oh no, this is going to be weird. How awkward is everyone going to get? Of course, thinking about just over a year ago, which feels like 10 for multiple reasons with Ambrose and Renee. Then the match happened and I was surprised by how not awkward it was. The match happened. The two even interacted. And those who do not know about their relationship would never know. So for me, Raw gets a thumbs up just for avoiding the inevitable awkwardness this situation brought upon itself. Do you guys think Bianca should be the one to take the title off Becky or does Shayna do it? And then Belair eventually avenges her loss to her in NXT. And when, and when are Alistair and Zelina going to be on total divas together? Maybe next season. God. Who knows? They have uh, their own YouTube channel. That's right. They, they do have yeah. that. Uh, uh, is Bianca going to take the belt off of Becky or is Shayna? I would say Shayna would be closer to that um, at yeah. the moment than Becky. I mean, that title has been on Becky over a year now. It's been a long run um, at the time. And no Becky tonight. No mm. Kevin Owens, who has not been on these shows since WrestleMania. Yep. Um, no, no. It, I mean, no Becky and no Seth on this show. Yeah, Seth in tape form. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no Kevin Owens. Who else has been missing thus far? Trying to no think of the way. big names that have not been here. Um, no Randy Orton. Right. Yeah, we haven't seen Randy at all since uh, WrestleMania. AJ has not been on, but he he there's a storyline reason like he should yeah. have been off for some time. Although I could see that being him being rushed back because they're I I'm sure they don't want to be leaving people off if they're willing to be there. And AJ's given all indications he is he wants to be working right now. I would expect maybe after Money in the Bank, perhaps. Um, yep. Yeah. All right, we got Andrew from Cape Breton who says, It's a shame that Drew McIntyre can't really be the strong babyface without a crowd existing because I find him to be really good in the role as a top star in the company. I thought he had a pretty good match tonight. He also has great chemistry with Zelina Vega, so if they wanted to give him a stronger push, to give a stronger push to Los Ingobernables de Americano or whatever they're going to go by, it could be an interesting rivalry. The show was missing some of the people they let go. I know Leo Rush, Leo Rush was seen as annoying, 
but those Lashley segments died a death. I think they also decided to give that rumored comedy gimmick to, for the revival to the Viking Raiders. They like to have fun. The kiss of death. Isn't that what the WWE... Isn't that what the people want? Fun-loving berserkers. Speaking of berserkers, they released a bunch of old WWF Superstars episodes on the network from the end of 92 to 93. The berserker tried to kill Mr. Perfect with his sword like a real Viking and didn't look like a geek driving around singing in his car. 10 out of 10 for WWF Superstars, but 5 out of 10 for tonight. And Josh from Vietnam. It's weird that they are building up Zelina's faction just to make Drew McIntyre look good. Honestly, I would prefer if they got the upper hand once in a while. Drew, however, seems really comfortable being the top guy in the company. The final moments of Raw makes him seem like a really cool guy. If WWE could read that last sentence over and over, oh my God, our top babyface seems like a really cool guy, they might frame that quote. That's never happened. It's it's very difficult in this company for a babyface to have that. And I think so far... So far, so good with uh, with Drew McIntyre as champion uh, several weeks in. Before we go, uh, Being the Elite released episode 200 today. I immediately saw this as these two guys who have watched all of these attempts over the recent while with Edge and Orton and Gargano Ciampa and thought, you know what? I think we could do a way better job. And that's what this was. Uh, pretty high production value of... All of these, um, all of these natural environment fights that we have been seeing, and I guess just well, in terms of no, no higher than I would say, uh, like BTE. I would say this looked pretty damn good for what two camera guys in like their backyard that they were shooting. Yeah, like this was no boneyard match or even like Gargano Champa. No, but I thought this looked completely professional and, um. I, I really got into this. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I got into this too. Um, before that though, I mean, I, I feel like I have to comment on like their, the stuff they were doing prior to this. They had a battle royal like leading to this. And yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched anything lately. So bring us up to speed. How we well, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't watch it either just cause like, oh. I watched bits and pieces of it, but like, I know like they limited the battle royal to like only so many people, but Jesus, like that is not, what this whole thing is about, right? Like they had pretty much like they had SCU. They had a bunch of guys from like whatever their, their local, local indies as a part of this thing. And it was just like, I, I, I didn't think it was necessary at all. I, I didn't understand matches on being the elite at all. To me, that's just like completely ridiculous. Um, in all of this, yeah, it's wrestlers wanting to wrestle. Like they're, they're really bored. All that said, I like this match a lot. Number one, because it was a very entertaining match. To me, very reminiscent of like, you know, your Kotobushi or Kenny Omega type of like DDT matches outside in like a campground or something like that. Just taking full advantage of your surroundings to do high spots in. Uh, very well planned, very creative spots. I and thought I, the blo- the blocking was, I I imagine, incredibly intricate in yes. all of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine so too. But uh, what, what I liked most about this was the fact that it was safe and when i say safe i mean relatively safe for the bucks and when i say safe as well they were clearly using crash pads or whatever um for a lot of their bigger spots because you they were they're blocking their cameras like when when matt or when nick jumped off of like (laughs) the roof (laughs) the fucking roof of the the pool um (laughs) onto a table below 
Um, I'll, know, t- they, they, I'll tell you what I guarantee sucked was those five consecutive northern lights onto yeah. the grass. But no. man, with the overhead shot, it looked cool as hell. Yes, definitely. Like you know, they they certainly uh, couldn't have avoided maybe like you know a hard landing on concrete or on a wooden deck or on uh, you know um, uh, grass. But like a big high spot of like Matt or, or Nick doing like a big dive. They either had, you know, uh, the camera blocked so that you couldn't really see what I would hope to be was like some form of crash pad to soften the landing. And on top of that, when they did blood, I mean, it clearly looked like ketchup and they weren't really trying to hide it. Like it was just dude. in the next shot. They're like they're sitting there together and it's like it's gone. It's I I don't think they even wanted you to think seriously about it. So, like, for those reasons, it's like I I applaud it because, like, you're at a time right now where not only um. Can should you not be taking bigger risk? Like it's unnecessary to, but like if you do take a risk and God forbid you're injured, you're taking up a spot in the hospital that somebody else really needs right now. Um, so for those reasons, I, I was a I was a big fan. It was very entertaining. It was all like the whole video is about twenty seven minutes, but the match it's around what fifteen sixteen. It was a reasonable length. No need to do, go forty minutes or anything like that. And they also had a to me. They were able, like, being that this was the Young Bucks and this was being the elite, like, this was done as, like, brother versus brother. So you're trying to convey a level of seriousness, but they also had their lighthearted moments that were that were fun, that didn't distract from the tone, that you could never get away with um, for Edge and Orton, yeah. for instance. We had, a, we had an appearance from the Merch Freak. Uh, those powers were used. We had a callback to the, um, the uh, Barbershop. Tech. Yeah, and a callback to the thumbtack boot. So um, that made its return as well. Yes. Um, and then ending with the uh, the Flair Michaels uh, ending as well. I I thought yes. this was really cool. You had the the Canadian destroyer off the diving board into the pool. Love that. It was great. Like a beautiful execution of that mm-hmm. as well. It, like to me, I watched this and I'm just thinking like, at bare minimum. This could have been on dynamite, and if they are not able to travel to Double or Nothing, I think this could have just been put on Double or Nothing. It's I understand like they wanted to do something uh, monumental for their 200th episode, but at a time when like I don't know, do you, would you have a different view um, reaction to this? Like, is watching this on YouTube versus watching this on TV? Would, does that play any difference for you? No. Um, not for me. I mean, I, I will say, I, I guess if they're going to put this on TV, this um, would need a commercial in it too. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think, I think if this was on TV, a lot of the gags, like the merch freak, um, that wouldn't work. Like so much of DBTE plays to, it's like a very kind of niche audience that, you know, uh, you kind of have to like understand the ridiculousness of wrestling and be okay with the ridiculousness of wrestling and still watch in order to really accept it. If you're a typical fan watching on TNT without any prior, you know, existing knowledge of a lot of these like uh, insider gags or even just like, well, then again, like Orange Cassidy absolutely works on on TNT, so um, maybe this would work too. But I, I, I could see the Bucks just maybe wanting to build this up just because you know they wanted to keep it for their own little. I, I, I can see that, but I think if you had promoted this for a week, Matt versus Nick from their home mm-hmm. on TV. Uh, I think this would have done... 
I don't know what a big number is right now because, I mean, they, they have been hurt just like other companies as well. But I think this could have easily played uh, on television and it would have been more heavily scrutinized, I think, being on TNT to a larger audience. But overall, I, I feel I would have put this on TV. Well, I, I can definitely tell you I enjoyed this more than Hager versus uh, Moxley, and I enjoyed Hager versus Moxley. But this was more entertaining, more variety, more kind of fun. Um, I would kind of more more so put this on the level of like the wackiness of a boneyard match. So if you're a fan of that, you might have enjoyed this. Um, but you know, does are there any lessons to be learned? I mean, we've seen a great deal of these, you know, quote unquote empty arena matches now, uh, cinematic matches, if you want to call them that. Like definitely enough to you know have a new category at the end of this year, John. Um, but you know what are the the takeaways you would say from the ones that you liked? So I think this one, I think that given like the platform of being the elite, and this is like the argument for being the elite, I think you get you do get more leeway, and you can also have a lot more fun moments that I think others. You put this on TNT, it's kind of. They don't have the context for it. It's a different context, and I think people are uh, – you would just get more complaints about that. But I that would not be my reason to not do it just because people are always going to complain uh, to a degree. I would say this worked in the in terms of uh, kind of having that, that ability to have fun moments but also to convey some seriousness, some excellent athleticism throughout this at, at its very core. And they kept it to a reasonable time, I think. 15, 16 minutes is what I would want to max these out at. I mean, the Boneyard was just a few more minutes than that. It was about 20. Um, that's kind of the range. I think once you're going past 20, that's when it, it's going to wear on people. I think that I think Gargano Ciampa at, at 16 minutes, at 20 minutes, would have been way better received uh, than, yes. than what they did taking up most of the second hour of NXT. And this, um, they utilized... This backyard, they had so many different like areas, like levels, for lack of a better term, to go to that every couple of minutes it was almost this reset, which Edge and Orton kind of had that idea, but it totally fell flat. Like going to different mm-hmm. locations didn't enhance that match at all. It was just a prolonged grunting mm-hmm. fest between these two that they were never able to give people like a, a quick reset uh, location-wise. Well, there's a, I, I think a very important distinction between that match and this one is the fact that the Bucks style is so much more dynamic and I think more so con, more conducive and totally. more cre- more creative, you know, for an environment like this. I mean, Edge and Orton, I think, had spots that were very creative, um, but, you know, it it was largely punching and kicking. And that's not what this match was. This match with the Bucks was like... You know, we're talking like that Northern Light spot, the five in a row Northern Light spot that ends in a tornado DDT off of a fence um, that was beautifully executed. We're talking about a Canadian destroyer off of a diving board. You know, it was like every beat had something entertaining and unique and creative. And that's what these guys have always excelled at. Um, and to me, that 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 was probably the biggest element. You know, I, 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 I when you when you promote an empty arena match, it needs to be more than just punching and kicking throughout like a building. And I'm I'm kind of afraid that's what the, the Money in the Bank match is going to be, uh, especially if you have two of them, um, because not everybody can have a match like this, you know, like the Bucks have had. But if you can't do the flips, if you can't do all this stuff, at least I think have, you know, traps or some sort of like 
uh, stage stunt that, you know, for every couple seconds, every minute at least, you know, that you can build up to, you can tease the audience with and just keep people, people consistently engaged and entertained. Yeah. So I, I think this overall, I, I enjoyed this a lot. It's a, it's a real quick watch, but it was a, a lot of fun to watch this match. So I, I enjoyed checking that out today. And then like an eight minute like montage of like the best best of BTE was which was really nice. Like I mean, when you think about it, it, it really this is a show that you can argue was a precursor to AEW and might have you know AEW. I wonder what have if if it would have even existed had a uh, BTE not gone to the level of success that. That elevated the Bucks to, and this whole entire group to this level. They almost gave you the sense like they were going to call it a day at the end of this thing. Yeah, at the end of the of the episode, they talked about how they don't know where they're going to go next. Um, do you expect them on Double or Nothing? I think that all depends on where where Double or Nothing is going to be. Um, you know, it's sounding more and more like um, you know if. if if Nevada's running, if Georgia is going, it sounds like Georgia is going to be opening up a lot of their businesses. Florida's an option. Um, where is AEW going to be comfortable when it comes to bringing in all the California crew? I would say after this past week of where kind of the U.S. is moving towards uh, reopening, I would say that given that we're talking a month away, I'd say it's it's relatively high that the Bucks will be on that pay per view. A month away, eh? 21st. I mean, what what day is that? Tw- May 23rd is the pay-per-view. Okay, yeah. Exactly a month. Hmm. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the show, everybody. So thank you for tuning in. We have a full schedule of shows coming up, beginning with Ant-Man and the Wasp on Tuesday night for all of you patrons. So you can check that out as we talk about um, Scott Lang and what's his Who name? P- Pim. Uh, <laughs> Go on. And Cassie yeah. and uh, Maggie and uh, Paxton. Paxton? Paxton? <laughs> I don't even know that one. Who's that? The the dad? Uh, the stepfather? The, the stepfather. Oh, okay. Yes. Yep. And that's it. The Pims. <laughs> um, it'll be a fun review. I'm sure. It'll be a fun review. I've got to figure out what this movie's all about. I hope I watch the right one. This is the this is the first Ant Man. Well, if you didn't, it would be that much more entertaining of a review. I'm Tune sure. in Tuesday, everybody. We will be chatting about that. Uh, that's all. Goodbye. <laughs>